0: Hi, and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Bethan.
1: And I'm Mark. Uh, Welcome back, guys. Thanks for joining us once again. It's great to have you back with us. Thank you to this week's Patreon supporters. We have Nafisa Jamil, Jess Hollyhead Woodridge, Christy Westerhyde, Susan McLean and Bellatrix. Thank you so much for your support. Um, If you would like to support the show through Patreon, then you can find us at patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. And your support really does make a huge difference to us and to keeping the show alive. So um, do check us out. We've got loads of bonus content over there and we've got much more coming very soon.
0: So, for my case this week, we're going to be heading to Australia. G'day, Mark.
1: Oh, we've not been, not been to Australia for ages.
0: I know. So, how excited are you? Very. And this is a case that was also suggested by Danielle Hill. So, hi, Danielle. I was really interested in the story, but I'd never really looked into it in a lot of detail. So, this research has been great. Described as one of the biggest and most misunderstood cases in Australian history, with an unprofessional trial, four inquests for the same death, numerous books, numerous pop culture references written about it, this case is summed up with one phrase that has become infamous. A dingo's got my baby. Oh
1: my God, you've not... You know it. Lindy Chamberlain, I can't
0: believe Mm -hmm. this. Yes. So, we begin in August 1980 with the Chamberlain family. Michael Lee Chamberlain, wife Alice Lynn, Lindy, Chamberlain, and their three children were going camping. Aidan was six, Regan was three or four, and baby Azaria was just nine weeks old. Born on the 11th of June 1980, weighing six pound five ounces, Azaria had black hair, dark eyes, and olive skin. She was a fit and healthy baby and was named for the Hebrew word meaning blessed of God. Her father was a seventh-day Adventist pastor And on the 13th of August, the family left their home in their yellow car to go on a camping trip. They arrived at Ayers Rock on the 16th, pitched their tent at a campsite and began their holiday. The trip was meant to be a really easy, relaxed time away with this new baby and the family having some fun. But shortly after their arrival, the family would be torn apart and their lives would be shattered. In the morning of their first day at the campsite, Dad Michael and the two sons went out to climb on the famous rocks and Lindy took the baby and explored a formation called Fertility Cave. Just outside the cave, she saw a dingo staring at her and she would later tell a detective that she just had the feeling that the wild animal seemed to be casing her baby. After the sun went down, a number of the campers got together to chat and enjoy food cooked on some barbecues, and the kids were playing. Lindy and Michael chatted with Greg and Sally Lowe, another young couple who were there with their young baby, and at about 8pm, Sally went to put some rubbish in a bin, and she was closely followed by a dingo, and minutes later, Michael and his son Aidan had fun throwing bread crusts to a dingo, but Lindy was saying, don't encourage the wild animals. Soon, baby Azaria was asleep, so Lindy took her into the tent and put her in her cot. Regan was also in the tent sleeping, and Lindy returned to join the group at the campfire. All the while, she was keeping an ear out for her children who were sleeping. Shortly after this, other campers heard growls, and then Lindy heard Azaria cry out. She rushed to check on her. A wild dingo was spotted leaving the tent, and on the ground outside there were dingo tracks. And what Lindy saw when she entered the tent is so horrific her baby was nowhere to be seen, and instead the tent was filled with dingo tracks and huge quantities of blood.
1: Oh, that, Can you imagine that scene that would have met her, you know, just what she would have felt at that point? Because I guess if, you know, if this is genuine, I'm sure you'll come on to all of this, but I suppose without being too graphic, uh, like a dingo or anything that's grabbing its prey would sort of go for the jugular or something to just really disable that prey or, you know, in this case very sadly a baby. So, you know, blood probably would have spurted quite high up in the air, um and, and literally, as you said, covered
0: that tent. So this is when Michael heard his wife scream and the now kind of legendary cry of A dingo got my baby. The alarm was raised and everyone from the campsite rushed to the family. Hank Morris, the first investigator to arrive, shined a light across the floor of the Chamberlain's tent where he noticed blood on one of the rugs and nearly 300 men, women and teenagers formed a human chain to look for tracks or pieces of clothing. Aboriginal and white trackers followed the dingo prints for as far as they possibly could until they started to mix up with marks at the side of the road and then they had to give up following. On the way, however, they saw tracks that indicated drag marks in the sand and two places where there was a shallow depression in the sand where a bundle had been set down, and apparently where kind of the animal had rested. And these depressions contained the imprint of a knitted garment, and next to one of these imprints there were small dark patches in the sand which they took to be blood. Azaria was never found. The baby grow that she was wearing was discovered about a week later, along with a ripped nappy, and this was about 4,000 metres from the tent and there were blood stains on the neck of the baby grow. And this, alongside the blood inside the tent and the fact that the baby was never found, was taken to be evidence that that baby was dead. So, I wanted to do a bit of research into dingoes in general, and especially in this area. So, a dingo is a medium-sized canine with a lean body, and they are known for their speed, agility and stamina. The dingo's main three coat colours that they have are either light ginger or tan, black and tan or a creamy white colour and dingoes prey on mammals up to the size of the large red kangaroo as well as birds, reptiles, fish, crabs, frogs, insects and seeds. When livestock farming began expanding across Australia in the early 19th century dingoes did begin putting on sheep and cattle so numerous population control methods were implemented but they haven't really been very successful kind of throughout the history And in the two years before Azaria went missing, Ayers Rock chief ranger, Derek Roth, had been writing to the government, urging them to do a dingo cull, because he was sure that the wild dingoes were becoming increasingly aggressive, approaching and sometimes biting people, and Derek specifically warned that they were likely to be a danger to humans. So you would think that this case was pretty gut and dry. There was a growl herd, there were tracks and marks from dingoes, dingoes were known to be a menace. Of course, there's the eyewitness testimony lindy had seen a dingo leaving the tent where her daughter had been sleeping the daughter that she heard cry out but people just didn't believe her as you kind of alluded to earlier if this is true or not people just didn't believe her
1: which is weird isn't it because i mean obviously it does happen very rarely but why would she just go out there go camping with her family and friends on holiday and think "I, i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna kill my baby in the tents, and blame it on a dingo you know yes she might have been suffering horrific postnatal depression that could have manifested in that way you know really dark thoughts that she acted on but you know it just it's just bollocks isn't it i I don't know i I, i'm really sure that she didn't do it
0: the kind of reasons that people felt like it was unlikely was they thought that a dingo attack just wouldn't happen um saying whilst dingoes in general did attack livestock it's so unlikely they'd go for a human Um, Also apparently the grieving parents who were in shock and had just suffered a really horrendous loss were too calm in their demeanour and acted wrong. Now we've discussed a million times how everyone reacts to situations differently and this frustrates me so much.
1: Yeah, and I think this reminds me a bit of Amanda Knox, for example, which we've not yet covered. And I I would love to cover that story Mm -hmm. um, of the death of Meredith Kircher. And Amanda Knox was, you know, sort of vilified in the press for how she reacted after her supposed friend had died uh, you know this most gruesome violent death and Amanda was there kind of doing cartwheels outside the police station and stuff um, and I'm not too sure on the whole Amanda Knox thing you know we need to cover that and discuss it in detail um, but you know it does demonstrate that people do react very differently and very weirdly in these kind of scenarios so I just sort of think um, you can't really judge somebody for how they behave after something traumatic happens
0: exactly there's a tv show on at the moment with martin freeman in which who i absolutely love um called breeders and it's really funny it's like a really dark kind of comedy um but there's a death in a bit of the program and the character who responds to being told that somebody's died she kind of laughs and grins and i was thinking do you know i'm really pleased that they put something like that into the program because nobody knows how they're going to respond to something like that being told to them and people do laugh or focus on the strange aspect of the case rather than the actual death because it's how your brain copes.
1: Yeah, or, or just refusing to acknowledge it. You would get that in a lot of cases where people just don't, they don't actually hear what they've been told by the doctor or whoever and just refuse to believe it. That's the first stage of grief. It's denial.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly. And then rumours started, which, wonderful. So one such rumour was that because the baby had been wearing black at the time of her disappearance, the parents must have only ever dressed her in black and this was an inappropriate and unnatural colour for a baby.
1: That is true though, isn't it?
0: It is weird, but she also wore plenty of other colours of clothing.
1: But I just literally, until you've said that, I've never realised that you never see a baby dressed in black.
0: Bella was wearing a black t-shirt recently.
1: Really? She was wearing a black t-shirt. Well, you it do had me, like Bethan. beetles on it. No.
0: It's not weird. Like, I personally wouldn't necessarily put her in a full-on black outfit, like head to toe all in black.
1: Put her back in that pink dressing gown I got her.
0: Oh, she loves that after her bath time. It's so cute, yeah. It's really fluffy. But this baby was photographed with her mum in a pink outfit not long before she went missing. They just put her in a baby grow to go to bed. Like, yes, it was black. And personally, I don't dress Bella in black that often. It was a T-shirt that said the Beatles on. But it's not that weird like it doesn't mean you killed your baby
1: no i agree with that it's it's a bit weird but does it mean you've killed your baby due to some satanic ritual that you were performing no
0: yeah and i think as well like if they had only ever dressed her in black maybe that would be more unusual but they didn't only dress her in black they dressed her in all different outfits Another rumour was that the name Azaria meant sacrifice in the wilderness and people began to share this as a fact without actually looking into the true meaning of the name. And as I said earlier, she was named for the Hebrew word meaning blessed of God. The sacrifice in the wilderness thing is just fake.
1: Yeah, it's like the complete opposite of actually what the meaning was. But I know, yeah. I know I definitely have been guilty of uh, presenting information as a fact when it's just my opinion. So I do understand mm. where these people were coming from. It doesn't make it right.
0: And it's easy, I think, especially nowadays with social media, to just share something that you think is true and it's not.
1: Yeah, it's like the whole fake news thing, isn't it? It can just, mm-hmm. it can spread so quickly and people are like, oh, my God, this is true. And we've seen a lot of that with this coronavirus because, mm-hmm. you, you know, so many people are like, oh, my brother-in-law's friend is in the army and I've got it on good authority that they're going to be patrolling the streets from Friday at 6 p.m. and then it never happens. And you're like, yeah, because it was bollocks.
0: Yeah. And the Chamberlain's religion was poorly understood and rumours started about the sort of things that Seventh-day Adventists actually did and Michael was described as a cult leader. Word quickly spread that the church embraced practices such as child sacrifice, which again isn't true, but people shared this information. And even the four policemen assigned to the case kind of disagreed during their investigations at the beginning. So one of them accepted the story, one was adamant it couldn't be true, and then the other two were kind of keeping open minds According to John Bryson's book *Evil Angels*, John Lincoln didn't buy the dingo story, saying, "Not a chance. Never happened before. There's a fact you can't beat. Never ever happened." And Inspector Michael Gilroy noted that even though none before had been fatal, there had been a series of recent dingo attacks on in the park on children. Gilroy Lincoln couldn't quite believe, however, that a dingo would be strong enough to drag a baby. So he went and got a pair of sand that weighed ten pounds, the weight of the baby approximately and then challenged the others to hold it up by their mouth. So he was scoffing at the possibility that a dog could lug a 10-pound baby over hundreds of yards and was trying to prove his point. He left the room, kind of came back with this sand, and he was only able to hold it up in his mouth for less than a minute because he was trying to show that it was just unlikely. But this is ridiculous because a man's mouth is... Different to was, a hungry dingo. I was
1: just going to say, like, Jesus Christ, you know, like a dog's jaw is really powerful. That's why yeah. a dog can, like, rip someone's face off and require them to have to have a face transplant. A human's jaw and mouth is completely different anatomically from a dog. So that's fucking ridiculous. And do you know what I saw the other day? I saw a fucking bird, some eagle or something, carrying a little piglet, uh, like flying with a piglet in the air. Jesus. Which, I, you know, I don't think that was fake news. I think it was true, but it had literally swooped down and grabbed this little piglet and it was flying through the air carrying this piglet to its nest to then, uh, you know, well, devour. Like,
0: it's small enough. Like, yeah. 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 Because there was that recent case of a dog that got taken.
1: Yeah, I remember that by a seagull. A tiny
0: dog in a garden. By a seagull, yeah. it was
1: like a chihuahua or mm-hmm. something, yeah. Because, yeah. to be honest, that would probably only weigh two pounds, maybe, something like that. A chihuahua, like a really small puppy I chihuahua. Know, yeah, like
0: a small one.
1: Yeah, so they could easily and do that. So, and that's a fucking bird, not a dog.
0: And I think if an animal's hungry enough, it will do what it has to do to survive. Yeah. So, as I mentioned earlier, the baby's clothing and a torn nappy were found about a week later... An investigator assigned to the case at this point made a comment about how these items were found close to where the family had hiked earlier in the day. And he made a point of saying that the other people camping at the site might have thought that the mum was carrying a baby round when it was simply a bundle of clothing. Again, I don't know about you, but I think a wiggly baby that makes noises is a bit different to a bundle of clothes. And I don't think anybody would be fooled by someone walking around with a bundle of clothes pretending it's a baby.
1: Possibly not, but the power of suggestion can be very strong, and you your brain will tell yeah. you what what it wants you to see so far. This reminds me a little bit of Maddie McCann, so you know yeah. the 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 dingo's taken my baby they've taken her was what Kate McCann mm-hmm. said um I don't know, there's just a lot of parallels so far to me, Um, even down to sort of cults and uh, religious beliefs and all of that. It's yeah, there, there are some parallels here, I think.
0: The newspapers then began publishing stories about the parents potentially killing their daughter, really hammering home the fact that they were religious and saying that this was some sort of sacrifice. Two years earlier there was the Jonestown mass suicide, so the press were kind of linking these two events as possibly connected. And once again the parents were slated for just not behaving in the right manner. Tests were then run on the blood samples found, on the vegetation and the hair samples that were found on Azaria's clothing. Dingoes shot in the area were examined for signs of human bones or protein, and the tears in the clothing were tested to see whether they matched the teeth of wild animals. Lindy and Michael Chamberlain were interviewed separately for hours on end, answering numerous questions about the timeline of their trip. Whilst on paper the interview was relatively pleasant, Lindy repeatedly stated that she felt the test being done were to try and prove her wrong, and she was annoyed that the information about the test was being leaked to the press. She also refused to be hypnotised to try and remember more about the night in question. Um, so I found this really interesting. They were basically saying because she refused to be hypnotised, she was guilty. But it just wasn't something she was comfortable with.
1: No, and no. I mean I don't know. It is kind of weird because again, a bit like with Kate McCann refusing to ask any, answer any questions when the police interviewed her, she just said no comment to like fifty questions. Wouldn't you do everything that you could, however weird, to in the in the vain hope of helping to find your daughter?
0: But the thing is, is this? She said, "I saw a dingo leaving the the tent." Like, what else is she going to remember apart from a dingo? Like. Even if she describes the dingo in more detail, they all look the same because they're dingoes. Like, I just can't see how hypnotising her is going to ever help. I,
1: I I do... Hear what you're saying. I definitely do, but why not just do it anyway? I'd just be like, yeah, okay. If you're the experts, if you really think it will help, I'm skeptical. But yeah, I'll do it personally. I think it's a load of bollocks. Like why? Why they would have suggested mm. it? But if somebody in a position of authority was suggesting it to me in that situation, I would have just done it. I wouldn't have said no. I'd have just been like, well, this is weird, but fine, whatever. If you think it will mm. help, I will do everything within my power
0: that is so true so the initial inquest was held between december 1980 and january 1981 and it supported the claims from the family but the parents now faced accusations that they had murdered the baby and disposed of her body somewhere before concocting the dingo story and the police were adamant that lindy was guilty and they basically just tried everything they could to prove this there was no plausible motive but this just didn't seem to matter for the police They found forensic experts such as James Cameron from the UK and an Australian forensic biologist, Joy Cole, to suggest foul play. And they did their best to kind of prove the coroner that had performed the first inquest wrong. Sir Dennis Barrett, the coroner, ruled after the initial inquiry that he believed the evidence showed that a dingo was indeed to blame but the police didn't really like that he'd questioned them and criticised them, and so the Supreme Court quashed Dennis Barrett's findings and requested a second inquest to be carried out. This second inquest took place in December 1981 and concluded in February 1982. So already, we're into that two years later, and the coroner who performed this inquest recorded information not used during the first inquest. So blood that had been found in the car, in a camera bag, and on a pair of scissors. There was also a bloody handprint on the baby grow that was found, and this all seemed really damning, so the coroner surmised that the parents knew that they could blame dingoes, faked the dingo attack and the tracks, killed their daughter by slitting her throat with scissors, removing her bloody clothing. They'd potentially kept her in the camera bag or hidden her in the camera bag at one point, and then buried her body before faking the scene. Detective charlwood told Lindy that the search had been prompted in part by the findings of British forensic expert James Cameron, who I mentioned before, and he'd concluded from examining the baby's clothes that no dingo had been involved in her disappearance. Lindy replied coolly, I didn't know that there were any dingo experts in London, which I absolutely love her for, but it, that just wasn't enough, like she was still charged with murder and Michael was charged with being an accessory after the fact.
1: That does sound pretty damning, though, doesn't it? You know, they found scissors with Azaria's blood on, they found bloody handprints on her clothes. That's... how can you explain that away?
0: Well, the blood that James Cameron had discussed as evidence wasn't even blood at all. Oh. And it was later proven that there was no blood in their car or on any of their possessions. Wow. Yep. So this presumptive test had been misled by a positive reaction to the presence of copper oxide, which is a material really prevalent where the Chamberlains lived. James Cameron admitted years later that he had only assumed the handprint was blood and that he had not tested it. And Joy cool, um had basically said it was blood and then destroyed all the samples. But at this point we didn't know that and it's just ridiculous. So this damning evidence is blood and it's not even blood. So, Lindy was charged with murder and Michael was charged with being an accessory to murder. And the trial went on for six weeks. And as we've discussed previously, the grieving parents were put on a trial by the media as well. People made scenes out the front of courts. So they were wearing t shirts that read, The Dingo is innocent. <laughs> and people across, <laughs> I know, I it's that. horrendous, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. No, it's funny. This is it. People just were consistently discussing the case, but it was the Chamberlain's guilt. So the prosecution stated they believed that the now pregnant with the couple's fourth child, Lindy, had left the campfire taking her baby, changed her trousers, took the baby to the car, cut the baby's throat, hid the body inside the camera case, cleaned up the blood, went back, changed her trousers back, made a mess of the tent and then went back to the campfire and that she had done all of this in a five to ten minute window and she had apparently then set up the events where she saw the dingo. They used the expert testimony of James Cameron as their key witness, and they said that Lindy must have paid Sally Lowe to say she'd heard the baby cry out at that point. So Sally did testify about the time that she heard the cry, along with Michael, and another camper testified about hearing the growl. She even said it reminded her of the sound that her husband's dogs made when he was slaughtering sheep. So a real primal killing sort of noise. And a police detective sergeant testified that he took photos of a large paw print near the baby's cot and he had taken samples of what he believed was blood outside the tent but that these samples were not tested. There were also canine hairs in the tent but the Chamberlains didn't have a dog. And a scientific witness said, similar to what you mentioned earlier, the blood spray marks in the tent were consistent with a dingo who'd taken and carried a baby. And I think as well, the main thing for me is they had trackers who tracked the dingo pet paw prints and stuff. These people know what they're talking about. They're not going to be fooled by some lady putting some fake paw prints in the ground. And there was more expert, in inverted commas, because I don't like him, testimony from James Cameron who said that he had studied plaster casts of dingo heads and had surmised that it was impossible for them to open their mouths wide enough to carry a human baby's head. Just from looking at some plaster casts. And
1: that, like, I also think they wouldn't have carried the head. They'd have probably carried the baby by the neck
0: potentially but the president of the dingo foundation les harris gave evidence that his opinion based on actually studying dingoes for years was that a dingo could have enveloped the head of a baby and carried it in that way and he even showed the court photos of a dingo with the head of a baby sized doll in its jaws so you can't say that they couldn't have done it they could have done it you don't know how they carried it but it's potential There was some evidence to suggest that the clothing discovered had been tampered with in between the time of the discovery and the time that the police photographed it. It appeared that the outfit had been unbuttoned, which obviously a dingo can't do. However, Police Constable Frank Morris, the first police officer to examine the clothes after the man called Goodwin had located them, gave evidence that only the top four buttons were undone and that the singlet was inside it. There were questions asked about whether the items had been placed there by a person because the photos looked quite staged or at least unnatural for a dingo dropping the clothing. But again, the police constable was able to answer this by confirming he had picked the clothing up, checked what it was, and then when he realised it was Azaria's clothing, put it down to photograph. So all of the evidence that's saying that they'd done this was kind of being countered.
1: And it seems quite, um I know this was like very much in the early 80s. So that is getting on for 40 years ago now. But to me, it doesn't seem like that long ago because I was born in the early 80s. No, but like I agree. the actual science behind all of this and the experts that they pull, it just seems so amateur. And it seems like we've moved on so much um from a criminal judiciary perspective since then, even in just, you know, three or four decades. We've moved on so much.
0: Mm -hmm. so there was even a hitchhiker who gave evidence that he'd been injured at a time when the chamberlains had given him a lift so his blood could have been found in the car um we know that now that there wasn't even blood anyway but his blood wasn't tested against the blood samples so there was potential that he had left blood in their car
1: And they could have still tested that, even though this is before DNA uh, would have been on the scene. They could have still tested the blood type, and there's things they could have done to rule him out. Mm -hmm. uh, But it wasn't even blood in the first place, so it's ridiculous.
0: And numerous witnesses testified as to the Chamberlain's characters as being fine members of society, and testified to their grief over the loss of their daughter. There were plenty of witnesses who discussed their own encounters with dangerous wild dogs, But the prosecution chose not to put forward any motives for the killing and just focused on the fact that the Chamberlains had behaved strangely in the aftermath. So Michael Chamberlain had apparently appeared at the doorway of one of the other campers' tents and told her, quite matter of fact, a dingo has taken our baby and she is probably dead by now. And that Lindy had said at one point, whatever happens, it is God's will. So they are weird, but equally you're you're in the situation where something ridiculous has just happened
1: yeah and you're trying to explain it away and if you're really religious you know her saying it's god's will it might have a different meaning to her than the way i would interpret that to be god wanted that it might just be her saying you know it wasn't something we were in control of and you know she's gone
0: it might have given her a bit of strength to carry on because well it's god's will so i need to keep going or something i don't know like it is strange out of the blue but when you think about the scenario that they're in a witness then also described that lindy and michael had been walking alone together into the bush for about 15 to 20 minutes and this was the time that the prosecution claimed they'd buried the body of the baby so lindy and michael were both called to give evidence at the trial Lindy cried on the stand as she described to the court what her baby daughter had been wearing when she was put in the tent to sleep. There was a lot of questioning around what had happened and her timeline of events. But the one thing that the defence did was to point to something that the prosecution said was this bloody handprint. So they'd said, this is the handprint, put your hand out and put it over this. Now the handprint showed four phalanges. What the fuck? So, you know, like, your knuckly bits on your fingers? Yeah,
1: I'm looking at it now.
0: Most humans, I'm going to say all humans, (laughs) and especially Lindy, definitely Lindy, have three. So, if you look at your knuckle and your bendy bits. Yeah. This print that they said looked like a handprint had four. And Lindy kept her cool throughout the whole thing so she was upset and she was crying but she didn't allow herself to be goaded and she refused to be baited by this cross-examination where she was being told that she was to blame the last witness for the defense was michael and the cross-examination focused on the fact that he hadn't rushed out to go and search for his daughter so they put it to him that he must have known the child was already dead and that his wife was to blame and that he was somehow in cahoots with her Courtroom observers decided that Michael's testimony lacked spirit. He was described as both weary and inappropriately nonchalant. Again, you just don't know how you're going to behave on the stand it's a really stressful time
1: also because he's grieving still you know this is only a couple of years after the loss of their baby daughter in horrific circumstances so Mm -hmm. yeah he's probably a broken man so yeah he's weary and the nonchalance might just purely be that he's not very present because he can't quite let himself be there because it's too traumatic to be in court uh, charged with the murder of your own daughter exactly i'm shocked at myself i thought i'd be gunning for these bastards but Mm -hmm. i'm like i'm i think they've had a really rough ride and that they're innocent
0: yeah and i also think the fact that he hadn't rushed out to go search for his daughter i don't know how i would react i think that like i do agree with this slightly because i think i would be rushing out but then you don't know where you're going they're wild animals you don't you're there with your other two children anyway, and there's people all around you, so I'm just not sure about that.
1: And there's other people saying, look, you know, you stay with your family, we'll go and look.
0: Yeah, trackers who know what they're doing, Yeah, not a family man from the suburbs who's gone out to the Ayers Rock to go camping. So when Michael's long hours on the stand finally ended, he sat down next to his wife and held her hands. The defence stressed that the prosecution had not been able to show any motive at all, but the prosecution said they didn't need to and the evidence was damning enough. On the 28th of October 1982, the judge, Justice Muirhead, instructed the jury to make their decision and reminded them that Sally Lowe distinctly remembered hearing a baby's cry coming from the tent and that if she was correct about that, then the prosecution's assertion that Azaria was at the time laying dead in the Chamberlain's car could not be true apparently most of the journalists waiting at the court were kind of expecting an acquittal and the tone of the judge's sort of deliberations and instructions to the jury really were quite positive towards the chamberlains but the following day the foreman of the jury announced their verdict lindy was guilty of murder and michael was guilty of being an accessory after the fact and across Australia, people were really pleased with this verdict. Apparently there was applause in numerous public places like bars and conventions when the ruling was announced. And reports later indicated that the jury was initially considerably more divided than that verdict indicated, having first split four for conviction, four for acquittal and four undecided. So it must have been quite tough to sit in that room. Um, But they didn't really discuss it for very long, a day and a bit.
1: I don't know, I don't know, I... I mean, that could be like 10 hours of non-stop discussing and arguing amongst yourselves. Maybe that is enough.
0: And one of the jurors later said to the press, it basically came down to whether you believed it was a dingo or not. And that was how they had to make their decision. So the judge sentenced Lindy to prison, um, but clearly disagreed with the verdict, and so only gave Michael a suspended sentence and put him on a bond. And Michael, for the first time in the trial, cried. And the judge stated, I consider it not only appropriate, but in the interests of justice to do so. So you can tell that even the judge doesn't quite believe that the parents are guilty, but they have to go with what the jury states.
1: Mm. I suppose the one good thing I'm thinking at this point, because I know it carries on, And the story does develop even further. But although the the kids, because there were three children still, so although their mum was in prison uh, or would have gone to prison, at least the dad wasn't in prison, so would have been able to look after them, yeah.
0: So like you just said, shortly after their convictions, on the 17th of November, Lindy was taken from her prison under guard to Darwin Hospital to give birth to their third, well, their fourth child, the third child that they have at this point. She was then returned to prison Um, and continued to really appeal her conviction to the federal court but these appeals kept on being rejected by the high court and so it must have felt like that was that for the chamberlains but on the 2nd of february 1986 the jacket that azaria had been wearing when she was taken was found partially buried near to a dingo lair the police had always said that this jacket just didn't exist so the chamberlains had said what what Azari had been wearing when she was taken. Because this jacket was never found, they said it it just hadn't existed in the first place. So this evidence, plus the new information about how the blood found in the car wasn't even blood after all, gave the Chief Minister cause to order Lindy's release. And just five days later, on the 7th of February 1986, Lindy's life sentence was remitted by the government and she was released from prison.
1: So literally... Five days from that evidence turning up? Mm-hmm. Wow.
0: Exactly. Because they had already started to find other evidence, like the blood wasn't even blurred and stuff like that. This was kind of almost like the straw that broke the camel's back. Wearing a pink dress and sunglasses, Lindy got into a limo outside the prison gates and left to try and get on with her life. Very
1: glamorous. That's how you'd leave prison, mm-hmm. Bethan, isn't it? Exactly. Big shades, glamorous flowing locks, straight into a limo.
0: Thank you, yep, definitely. I would like a glass of champagne on my release as well, because Jesus, I'd need it after being in prison. I don't
1: know, you'd be top dog. Thank you. You'd be loving it inside.
0: (sighs) God, (laughs) I don't think I'd do well.
1: I'd be the little pussy bitch.
0: Aww. Now, this case really reminded me, at this point, so much of Stefan Kisko, who was convicted of a murder that he didn't commit and really sadly, he wasn't really able to return to a normal laf- life outside. So he spent time in a mental health support hospital um, until he was ready to go home. And then he died not long after he was well enough to get out. That's so, sad.
1: I know that name. I can't yeah. think who he is.
0: So he um, was convicted of killing Leslie Molson. Oh, of course. Yeah, we covered that, And it that, was the testimony we? of those girls that said at court that they'd seen him. And then they went back on their testimony and he was incarcerated for so long and I'm just, haunted by a story ever since we covered it yeah
1: and it always I think when we covered that case that was a brilliant episode that you did when you covered that I'm pretty sure we spoke about Jill Dando and Barry George who was convicted of her murder and sentenced to prison Mm -hmm. served a number of years before being released on appeal Um, and you know he was granted no compensation because the CPS were like well you know we believe that he definitely did it which is complete bollocks he did not kill Jill Dando and his life been ruined.
0: And this is always the point that I come back to when we discuss the death penalty is there's plenty of cases where people say for definite that someone did something and then years later it turns out they didn't. Yeah. So, yeah. Luckily for Lindy, perhaps because she hadn't spent quite as long incarcerated or perhaps mentally she was just more able to return to life outside, perhaps because she was being reunited with her children lindy was able to kind of move forward a little bit easier so next in the case came a royal commission and the purpose of which was to look into the trial and the convictions and the commissioner concluded that the idea that Azaria had been killed by her mother had not been proven beyond reasonable doubt and that the evidence didn't prove one way or another whether it was a dingo or not the point of a trial is to prove guilt beyond reasonable doubt and the prosecution just didn't do this The investigatory techniques and witness testimonies of Joy Cole, who didn't test the blood that wasn't actually blood, James Cameron, who said he knew about dingoes from looking at some models, and many other witnesses were criticised. And the commissioner also put great weight on the credible accounts offered by the Chamberlain's fellow campers and said... It is extraordinary that the persons at the barbecue area at the time of and immediately after Azari's disappearance accepted Mrs. Chamberlain's story and noted nothing about her appearance and conduct, suggesting that she had suddenly killed her daughter. And I think that's so true. if, If you're then being told that this person was guilty, you might suddenly remember something that came back to you like, oh, yeah, she did do this or she did do that. They didn't ever think that. They really believed her story.
1: And they were there.
0: Yeah. He concluded, I am far from being persuaded that Mrs Chamberlain's account of having seen a dingo by the tent was false, and that if the evidence before the commission had been given at the trial, the trial judge would have been obliged to direct the jury to acquit the Chamberlain's. So finally, on the 15th of September, 1988, the Northern Territory Court of Criminal Appeals unanimously quashed all convictions against Lindy and Michael Chamberlain, and the pair were pardoned and compensated. Lindy received $1.3 million in compensation from the Northern Territory government for wrongful imprisonment. Because the second inquest wasn't fully completed as the case went to trial, a third inquest was opened in 1995 and this was kind of a tick-box exercise and described as a paper inquest rather than a full one because there wasn't any new evidence to report on. The coroner returned an open verdict in Azaria's cause of death, specifically writing, After examining all the evidence, I am unable to be satisfied on the balance of probabilities that Azaria Chamberlain died at the hands of Alice Lynn Chamberlain. It automatically follows that I am also unable to be satisfied on the balance of probabilities that Michael Lee Chamberlain had any involvement in the death. He also wrote that because the evidence for the death by dingo hypothesis was never developed, I am unable to be reasonably satisfied that Azaria Chamberlain died accidentally as a result of being taken by a dingo. He noted that, indeed, the evidence affords considerable support for the view that a dingo may have taken her, To examine the evidence to see whether it has been proved that a dingo took Azaria would make the fundamental error of reversing the onus of proof and would require Mrs Chamberlain to prove her innocence. So the family kept working to fight this, though, and after 32 years of intense media scrutiny and interest from the public, the Chamberlains stated they remained unsatisfied with this bare acquittal and presumed innocence. They were keen to finally and definitively determine how their daughter had died. And finally, in 2010, the government took up Azaria's case again after Lindy Chamberlain campaigned to list dingo attack as the official cause of death for her daughter. And in 2012, a fourth coroner's inquest into the death of Azaria Chamberlain was opened. This time, the coroner considered new evidence concerning dingo attacks on humans, including three fatal attacks on children since the third inquest. And finally, on the 12th of June 2012, it was announced that the findings were a dingo had indeed killed Azaria. So Elizabeth Morris, the coroner, wrote the evidence is sufficiently adequate, clear, cogent and exact to exclude all other reasonable probabilities that a dingo had entered the tent where Lindy and Michael Chamberlain's young child lay resting on that August night 32 years earlier. Luckily, unlike the first inquest, the nation really listened to this coroner and believed them. Australians went on to kind of express their regrets for having wrongfully assumed that Lindy Chamberlain was a murderer, and comedians also apologized for using her phrase in public appearances. Oh,
1: that's awful. I mean it's great that they've you know apologized, but um, yeah, what an awful time this family must have had you know for decades really of mm-hmm. that people in their home country not believing them,
0: yeah. Lindy hoped that her baby's death had helped to convince Australians that dingoes are dangerous animals. We live in a beautiful country she said but it is dangerous and we ask all Australians to take proper precautions. And in 2019 there was an article with Lindy where she said it's not what happens that counts it's how you choose to deal with what happens. You can choose if you're going to live with anger regret and revenge and miserably think yourself a victim or you can choose to be a hero in your own life and forgive the past and move on. It doesn't happen immediately. Sometimes I go back and have to remind myself to start all over again. It isn't easy. So I find her so amazing that she's just not bitter about everything she went through.
1: Yeah, it's like she's really worked through it and has this great deal of perspective and has come out the other side. Not many of us would have reacted in the the way in which she has
0: yeah and i do feel that for her the fact that she had her religion to go back to and to fall back on and to give her that strength i think that's potentially why she was able to and these things that people then used her religion to kind of put doubt on her well she was then using her religion to help her get through it so i just found it really interesting with her Now, there is so much more about this case that I could discuss from sort of the media side of things, the films and books, but I'm not going to go into those. I just don't think that they really have any actual impact on the case. There is a bit of information which I haven't been able to verify where some people apparently discovered the body in a dingo lair or in somewhere that dingoes were known to be. But because the police were trying to say that the parents had killed her, they kind of covered this up however i haven't been able to find out for definite what actually happened either because it didn't happen or because the police were covering it up and so i just can't say for sure what that is but basically these people had said that the dingo it was clearly a dingo attack and that they'd found remains
1: That's, I mean, I personally don't think the police, um, were trying to go all out to prove that she was guilty. I don't, I just don't know. I think it was probably just, you know, this is 40 years ago. Policing methods were very different back then. Um, but what, what's truly tragic, if that was the case, if they were covering that up, um, that the remains had been discovered, then they robbed Lindy and Michael of having, uh, you know, being able to put their, their daughter to rest.
0: Mm hmm. It's really, it's a really odd sort of aside, and I wasn't even sure whether to mention it in the episode or not. But I feel like it's out there in the media as something. I just don't know whether it's fact or not. So, and I just the whole thing where she cried out when she realised her baby girl had been taken from the tent. A dingo's got my baby, and it's been made into a joke. And I really hate how the media and society in general made it into that joke. And equally, like I only knew this case from that phrase at the beginning.
1: Yeah, I mean we all know that a dingo ate my baby. Yeah. But I don't I don't know why it's particularly funny. No. Why it's people such a thought that was ever that funny.
0: Thing that has become folklore almost.
1: I I'm all for having a bit of a laugh and a joke, but I just don't find it funny.
0: Yeah. I feel so awful that for so long, so many people doubted these parents, but I'm really glad that they did get justice eventually. So kind of in classic Bethan style, my final part of this episode is a quote from Michael Chamberlain in 2012. Standing on the courtroom steps after his daughter's death was finally said, you know, officially the cause of death was a dingo attack. He declared, I am here to tell you that you can get justice even when you think that all is lost.
1: Very poetic.
0: Mm Mm-hmm, very
1: Have you seen the film with Meryl Streep in? I haven't playing Lindy Chamberlain I remember seeing it because I think it was probably made in the 80s um, and it was brilliant film and that's where I first learned about this case as mm-hmm. like a young kid and then just kind of followed it a little bit but I I honestly didn't really know uh, exactly what happened throughout because mm. it would just every few years it would come up in the media yeah there'd be a new development so it's it's great to have a, a real uh, specific you know from start to finish um, everything that happened in between and where they are now so um, I'm glad they got justice and I'm glad that they were compensated as well
0: yeah me too so thanks for joining us guys thanks for listening
1: yep thank you for uh, coming along for the ride once again don't forget to check us out on Facebook Instagram and Twitter Uh, I think we're at nearly 2,000 followers on Instagram and we have just I reckon we've just hit 1,000 on Facebook
0: we're close so maybe when this episode comes out
1: we're at 999 um, yep, when I look. Because we're
0: doing stickers for the first, uh, for the thousandth person, and then also for someone at random as well. So it's all getting very exciting.
1: Very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do check us out on all of those beautiful platforms. And don't forget to support the show and check out our sponsor, Babble, at babble.co.uk play
0: yep and use the promo code red red on your six month subscription so um six months free with a purchase of a six month subscription which is really great
1: and if you would like to support the show if you're able to if you want to help us be around for a long time not just a good time and to keep episodes coming then you can find us at patreon.com slash seeing red podcast
0: so thanks for listening guys and we'll see you next week
1: see you guys Bye. bye